Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Matthew 5, verses 17 to 30. Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth. Until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in the front of the altar, First, go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you're still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, Do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Ali, thanks very much indeed. Well, do keep uh, your Bibles open. We'll be coming uh, to that passage uh, in just a moment. Uh, I think something else that you'll find particularly helpful is to uh, dig out uh, this uh, sermon outline. Again, uh, as uh, we've uh, been uh, looking through this series, I've produced a handout each week. Whether you like taking notes or not, there are some quotes particularly in the second half, uh, which I think you'll find helpful, so do have that open. Uh, Tonight, as uh, Peter's already said, we're considering this issue of pornography. And um, I've been very aware, even as I've prepared, and particularly tonight, there's a great concern for me that even as we think about this issue, it could bring to mind unhelpful thoughts. Uh, So I'm going to pray for protection for us and for God's word to cleanse our minds in these next moments. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, all sin is sin, and yet there seems to be some 
sins which uh, do fill our minds so especially unhelpfully. And so as we talk about and think about this particular issue of pornography uh, tonight, we ask you to protect us. We're very aware of the spiritual battle we're in. And we pray too for you to cleanse us. Cleanse us by the washing with water through the word, leaving us without stain, holy and blameless. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Things have changed a lot in the last 40 years. Uh, 40 years ago, dirty magazines, as they might have been referred to back then, were on the top shelf behind the counter in the newsagent. Magazines like Playboy were purchased by, quote, dirty old men and hurriedly pushed into a brown paper bag so no one would see the evidence of the transaction. By the mid-90s, attitudes had changed dramatically. So in the American sitcom Friends, Chandler and Joey would joke with their friends, uh, Rachel, Monica and Phoebe, that they'd they'd just been watching porn and everybody would find it a laughing matter. No shame. No sense of disgust. Suddenly, looking at porn had become an acceptable leisure activity. The arrival of the internet certainly exacerbated the problem. No longer did you face the embarrassment of walking into a newsagent and asking for one of those magazines. Images were now just a click away, millions of them, instantly available without you having to leave your own home. And that removed some of the significant deterrence of obtaining porn, namely the shame and embarrassment of buying a magazine. Indeed, did you know, pornography was the first profit-making industry on the internet. Not that it was any longer embarrassing to buy magazines at the beginning of this century. You could buy magazines like Zoo and Nuts. First published at the beginning of the century, they were marketed as men's magazines and lads' mags. And by carrying issues, articles on health issues and fitness and sport and quizzes, it seemed reasonable to buy them off the shelf, even though they contained... Soft porn, ah, and there you have it, soft porn. A phrase that suggested it really wasn't that bad after all. And it isn't just an issue for men, as the publishing in 2011 of the novel Fifty Shades of Grey demonstrated. Aimed at a female readership, it became known for its explicitly erotic scenes. That wasn't unique in a novel, but what was different about Fifty Shades was that it featured elements of sexual practices including bondage, submission and sadomasochism. And here's the thing, it topped the bestsellers list around the world, selling over 125 million copies. It's been translated into 52 languages and it set a record in the United Kingdom as the fastest selling paperback of all time. Critics say it's not even very well written. It was the description of pornographic scenes that saw it fly off the shelves. Primarily aimed at a female readership. Tells us the issue of pornography is not just a young bloke's issue. Indeed, 28% of people visiting pornographic sites are women, nearly a third. Look, the big point is this. In a few decades, porn has become acceptable. Except, of course, it hasn't. You won't find many wives who think it's acceptable for their husbands to spend time lusting in front of their computer screens. Come to that, I don't think many girlfriends would be that thrilled about it either. And I can't think of many people who'd want to be known as having spent their evening viewing porn and everything that goes along with it. 
So it's one of those strange enigmas in our society. It's a laughing matter in popular sitcoms and stand-up routines. But there's nothing funny about it when someone I love is looking at it. So this evening, let's expose porn for what it is. It is wrecking lives. It's wrecking marriages now and marriages to come. It's wrecking the, the mission of the church. I'll say more about why that is the case in a moment. And it is wrecking the lives of individuals. And this isn't just a problem for the world out there. In his excellent book, Captured by a Better Vision, on this very subject, Tim Chester cites a survey that found that 50% of Christian men and 20% of Christian women are addicted to porn. That is one in three Christian people. In a church this size, that means that it's very likely that 300 people are looking at porn regularly amongst us. Even if you think that's widely exaggerated, let's half it, shall we? It still means 150 people in the church family of 1,000 are addicted to porn. This is our problem. It will be wrecking relationships right here among us, screwing up lives now and in the future and robbing people of the joy of walking with the Lord, leaving them feeling dirty and full of shame and making them secretive and deceitful. And because sin, all sin, is so deceptive, let's be clear what pornography is. Again, uh, Tim Chester defines porn as it's on the handout. Anything we use for sexual titillation, gratification or escape, whether it was intended for that purpose or not. Now, I think that last phrase is very helpful and important indeed because whenever we sin, we try to justify ourselves. So don't fool yourself that you're not using porn when you take a department store catalogue and look at women in swimsuits or underwear. Or when... The things you watch on television are not labelled as porn, but you watch them precisely for titillation or gratification, watching a TV drama for the sex scenes or uh, flicking through the channels late at night to find raunchy nude scenes in films. If you're looking at images to get sexually aroused, you are looking at something you shouldn't be looking at. And we see that very clearly when we turn to our first point and ask, what does Jesus say about porn? I hope you've still got your Bible open. And turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 27. Jesus said, you've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Lustful thoughts. Wanting someone who is not your spouse is adultery. So you can be sure that lusting, the lusting that goes on over images, whatever they are, is sinful. In these last weeks, we've seen from Genesis chapters 1 and 2 that sex is a good, God-given gift. It's a gift to be enjoyed. But it is to be enjoyed in the context of marriage. Outside of that context, it does harm I remember years ago, someone likening it to fire. They said to me, fire is good. It keeps us warm. Sitting in front of a well-stoked log fire in a living room on a cold winter's night is brilliant. 
But the moment the fire spits out of the fireplace, it is very dangerous. Fire out of the confines of the fireplace will consume you and possibly kill you. That's what Jesus is saying here about sex. It's a wonderful gift. But it is so dangerous when it's in the wrong place. So dangerous we should take decisive and drastic measures to cut it out of our lives, verse 29. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. See, sex is one of the good gifts that Satan takes and misuses it to lure people away from God and on a road to destruction. Read Proverbs chapter 5 when you get home. It talks of a woman seducing a young man. It doesn't just have to be a woman seducing a young man. It's just the general point. It shows how tempting adultery is, how delicious she looks. But it ends with the truth of how devastating it will be. How ensnaring it is. How impossible it is to get out of the trap. How addictive it is and how it will lead you to destruction. That's what Jesus understands here. He says, cut it out. Take drastic action to get rid of it. Jesus is talking about all lustful thoughts here, but just because of the subject matter today, we're zooming in on the issue of pornography. So please know how powerful and addictive it is. It will grab your heart and lead you even, possibly, to deny Jesus leading you, therefore, to a lost eternity. So take drastic action. Cut it out of your life. Get a firewall on your computer. Get accountability software installed like Covenant Eyes. Find good friends who will help you and keep you accountable. Throw away magazines when you get home tonight. Cut it out of your life. There are all sorts of suggestions uh, as to how you can do that. In this book, uh, Tim Chester, Captured by a Better Vision, it's an excellent book. But as helpful as as all those suggestions are, and by the way, Tim Chester does a lot more than make a few suggestions like that, but as helpful as all those suggestions are, that's not getting to the heart of the problem. If you put things in place to stop it, you'll still lust after it. And when you're tired or low or feeling emotional or lonely or hurt or let down, if your heart hasn't been changed, it doesn't matter what steps you've taken to cut it out of your life, you'll still be hankering after it. And because the pull of sexual sin is so powerful, like any addiction, you'll find a way of getting the drug anyway. To deal with this, there needs to be a change of heart. You need to get to the point where you don't want to do it anymore. Well, that leads to our second point, and over the page on the handout, loving Jesus more than porn. Look back with me um, as you um, turn over in your handout. Look back with me to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 20. Ali read uh, this verse for us. Do you you remember what it said? Verse 20, Jesus speaking. I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you'll certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. 
Now, there's a good chance that a number of us have read that verse before. It doesn't really hit us anymore. The real problem is that Christians often read the Bible and don't think seriously enough about it. But what a surprise that would have been to the first disciples when they first heard that. We tend to think of the Pharisees as the bad guys. There's a sense in which they were, of course. But actually, if you look at their lives, look at their righteousness in terms of how they lived, and you would struggle to find a more moral bunch on the face of the earth. Pharisees would be terrific neighbours. Clean living, they wouldn't throw rowdy parties and play loud music late at night. They'd be part of the neighbourhood watch scheme. Go on holiday and they'd keep an eye on your house, water the plants and feed the cat while you're away. They were good citizens. So these words from Jesus are a real surprise. If you think of righteousness in terms of moral performance, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you'll certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You might be thinking that Jesus is asking you to attain an impossible standard to get to heaven, righteousness surpassing that of the Pharisees. But that is not what Jesus is talking about here. There are two things we need to understand about righteousness. First, what theologians call imputed righteousness. Uh, Simply put, imputed means something that is given to me. It's what we rejoice in when we look at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've sung about it. We've remembered it in the creed already today. As he died as a substitute in our place, he took the punishment for our sin and he gave us his righteousness. A glorious swap happened at the cross. He took my sin. He gave me his righteousness. And so the Apostle Paul was able to write 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness, there's our word, the righteousness of God. Jesus takes our sin and in exchange he gives us his righteousness. It is a great exchange. So because of Jesus' rescue at the cross, God doesn't see me as a sinner anymore but as a righteous person. And so because of the cross, My righteousness is greater than that of the Pharisees. And so I can be sure of going to be in the kingdom of heaven. I've been rescued from my sin and given Christ's righteousness. And that is the context for this chapter. Look back to verses 1 and 2 of chapter 5. See verse 1, when he... uh, Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down... With his, disciple, uh, his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Here is the Lord up a mountain giving the law. It should remind us of Exodus chapters 19 and 20 when Moses went up to a mountain to meet the Lord where he was given the, the, where he was given the law, the Ten Commandments. And Exodus chapters, uh, chapter 20 verses 1 and 2 The verses before the Ten Commandments are listed start like this. God spoke these words and said, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. God's law, the Ten Commandments, were given to people who had already been delivered out of slavery, people who had already been saved. You don't get saved by keeping God's law. That's never been the case throughout the whole of the Bible. God saves us by his rescue, which for us means the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Once you are saved, 
then you are to live a life that reflects that. And that's the second way we need to understand righteousness. And I've put it on the handout, the fruit of righteousness. As the rescued people of God, we should live differently. Not in order to get into God's good books. Jesus has already done that for us. I should live differently as someone who has been saved. That's why the Ten Commandments were given to the people of Israel. And that is what Jesus is doing here. So as people who are saved and who are sure of going to heaven because of Jesus' death on the cross, now live differently. In that sense, your righteousness should surpass that of the Pharisees. Don't live like the Pharisees who only kept the law outwardly, outwardly respectable, but not different deep down inwardly in their hearts. And that is what Jesus is teaching here. So again, verse 27, the law... The Ten Commandments say, do not commit adultery. And the Pharisees didn't. They married one wife and then they didn't have sex with any other woman. And that's good. But as a disciple of Jesus, go deeper. Motivated by the cross, full of love for Jesus. Wow, you did all that for me. Then live a deeply righteous life. Verse 27, you've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, don't even look at someone lustfully. So the big point is this. Jesus is not just saying try harder. He's not just saying get a firewall on your computer. Yes, do that if that will help. Do anything to cut sin out of your life. But the whole context is one where the gospel has so grabbed my heart that I want to change. I want to live differently. I'm so thrilled that Jesus died for me. What what can I do now to, to live the way he wants me to live? So I'll love Jesus more than sin. I'll love Jesus more than porn. And with a love of Jesus comes a hatred of sin. That's the third point on the handout. And we're at the top of page three if you're still following along. Hating porn out of love for Jesus. See, in Hebrews chapter one, verses eight and nine, God the Father says these words of Jesus. Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever, and righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. Listen to these words. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. Do you see that? Jesus loved righteousness and hated wickedness. They go together. They are the marks, you see, of Jesus Everlasting kingdom, loving righteousness, hating wickedness. Sometimes people say to me, Christians shouldn't hate anything. Yes, we should. We should hate sin because God does. And if you pray that God would give you a hatred of sin, he will answer that prayer because he hates sin too. And in this book, Tim Chester says that the first step to getting rid of porn in your life is to have an abhorrence of porn, to hate wickedness. He speaks of having a hatred of porn itself, not just the shame it brings. I think that's very helpful. Most Christians, after they've indulged in porn, feel shame. You need to have more than that. You need to hate porn and long for change. And I reckon to hate this particular sin, we must expose the lie that Satan whispers in your ear. When he's tempting you, he says, what's the problem with porn? It doesn't do anyone any harm. Please do not believe that. It does a lot of people a lot of harm. 
And I'm going to tell you the, the sorts of harm it does so that you will begin to hate it. Firstly, it harms those involved in the pornographic industry. Again, listen to Tim Chester. It's on the uh, handout. The image that porn likes to portray is that of people enjoying themselves. The reality is that participants in porn movies are frequently on drugs to dull the pain. It is common for women to vomit between shots. Let me read some more from this book. This is quite a long quote. Shelley Lubbon is a former porn actress now committed to helping women in the industry. Her organisation, the Pink Cross Foundation, has compiled a video. It is a sequence of still photographs of porn actresses and actors. Over each picture comes words of explanation. Hayley Page died from possible murder and drugs in 2007. Savannah died from self-inflicted gunshot wound in 1994. Christy Lynn drove at 100 miles an hour and died in a car accident in 1995. Chloe Jones died from liver failure due to alcohol and drugs in 2005. Anastasia Blue died from suicide over overdose uh, July the 19th, 2008. Eva Lux died from heroin overdose in 2005. Taylor Summers was murdered during a bondage scene. On and on it goes, writes Tim Chester, for over 70 minutes. 82 porn stars in all, just some of the hundreds who've died in tragic circumstances. It's very common for women involved in porn to have experienced sexual abuse as children or to have had a, a, abusive or distant or absent fathers. They're desperate for male approval and, his desperation, and this desperation is exploited by the, by the porn industry. Ex-porn star Amber told Craig Gross how girls are coerced and set up for a shoot. When they show up, there are six guys instead of one. The producers harass the girls if they refuse to continue. And these young girls, explained Amber, are going to do it because they're so insecure about themselves and they let these people take advantage of them. We need to expose the lie that says it doesn't do any harm. These are the realities of hardcore porn. But Satan is so deceptive, I know what will happen tonight or tomorrow as some of you are addicted to porn. Satan will say, okay, well, okay, what Paul read on that Sunday night was just about hardcore porn. Soft porn won't do any harm. It's just a nude image. Can't hurt anyone. Please, stripping naked and revealing what is private does not do any people any good. It is demeaning. It is humiliating. And it is enslaving for those people who do it. Do not fuel the industry by participating in it. You are harming the people you are looking at. Because if no one looked at this stuff, there would be no pornographic industry. It harms those involved in pornographic industry. It harms marriage and relationships. If you are married, viewing porn will be destructive to your marriage. If your spouse discovers that you've been looking at porn, it will seriously hurt your spouse. Your spouse will think and might even say something like this to you. Am I not attractive enough? Is there something wrong with my body? Am I not good enough in bed? How can you do this if you love me? 
If you really love me, you wouldn't hurt me like this. Your spouse will feel as if you've committed adultery because you have. Remember what Jesus says. If anyone looks lustfully at another, And because you've committed adultery, it will take a long, long time to restore trust. Even if your spouse doesn't discover you looking at porn, it will have a detrimental effect on your marriage. Uh, There'll be something coming between you. Perhaps never spoken of, the other one never really known, but maybe suspecting. And even if not that, you will feel guilty. And something becoming is is between you and your spouse. Being deceitful will affect your marriage. Not to mention the impact the images will have. The images you look at will be in your mind when you're making love to your spouse. You will have desires that are not normal, images in your mind that are not healthy, and expectations that are not real. This is what one man says in Tim Chester's book. In real life, women are slow cookers and men are microwaves, basically saying that it takes women time to get turned on. Men get turned on instantly. In real life, women are slow cookers and men are microwaves. But in pornography, all a man does is touch a woman and she's howling in delight. It's just not real. There are so many other aspects of porn that create an unreal view of sex. Having those in your mind will ruin your marriage. It will leave you dissatisfied. And for those who are not yet married, let me tell you, pornography will harm, if you do get married in the future, a future marriage. See, all I've just said will be true when you do get married. The images will be burnt into your mind like something stored on a hard drive. You'll have wrong expectations of your sex life when you get married. You'll probably learn unhelpful and and, um, possibly unhealthy ways of relating to someone of the opposite sex. And I'm talking about things that go way beyond the bedroom. Listen again to Tim Chester. It's on the uh, handout. By looking at porn, you're creating a set of expectations that bears no relation to real sex or real marriage. You're storing up a database of images that will compete with your future wife. You're gifting the devil a reservoir of temptation to use against you. He also observes, many men think they'll stop when they get married, but you're laying down patterns of behavior and thought that you'll take with you into your marriage. Many men have thought they would readily stop using porn when they got married. They were wrong. Don't think you're a special case. And if you're a woman here, all of that applies to you as well. I'm just quoting the book. The devil says it doesn't do anybody any harm. It harms those involved in the pornographic industry. It harms marriage and relationship. It harms the church. And you're already over the page by the sounds of the turning of the page. Now, we don't have time to do this in detail, but you should study Joshua chapter 7 and Achan's sin. In short, Achan had a hidden sin. doesn't matter what it was, he had a hidden sin. No one else in Israel knew about it. But as a result of Achan's sin, the children of Israel were unable to take the land the Lord had promised. They lost a battle, a huge battle. Many were killed. 
Last weekend, we met together with 11 other churches as Renew South Yorkshire. We were aspiring to make a difference in this part of the world. We were trying to, we're saying we're talking about changing South Yorkshire with the gospel. It's a thrilling time together. But listen, this hidden sin, this problem of pornography, that is rampant among us. One third of Christians, men and women, are addicted to it. This hidden sin will be stopping us from making a difference in South Yorkshire with the gospel. Please know that your engaging in porn will have a negative impact on us growing and planting churches. And so less people will come under the sound of the gospel. It harms those in the pornographic industry, it harms marriages and relationships, it harms the church, and it does harm you. Satan will tell you it doesn't do you any harm, no one else will be harmed, it will harm you. Images that you put in your mind will stay with you, all the things I've said already. You'll have a warped view of all sorts of things. You'll have a warped view of the body. You'll have looked at so many perfect bodies or particular attributes of bodies that you especially like that you'll not be content with your spouse's body which will be less than perfect because no one has those perfect bodies. You might even not be happy with your own body. That won't do you any good. It will give you a warped view of sex in all the ways we've already said, but not least of all, at a most fundamental level, you will treat sex as therefore your pleasure. That is a quite wrong way to think about it. As with any good thing from God, it will bring pleasure and is meant to bring pleasure. The Lord is a good and generous God who gives us good things to enjoy, but sex is not solely for your pleasure. Sex is given as a beautiful thing in a marriage for you to bring pleasure to each other. That's why going solo is never the right way to use this gift. Porn is all about you. It's thoroughly selfish. It's about you and your lust being met and so it will not bring you satisfaction. That is why moments after viewing porn, Christians are left not satisfied but empty and dirty. And please know that if you are selfish in one area of life, you will be in others too. Listen to these comments that Tim Chester, uh, of people that Tim Chester interviewed. Porn kills my spiritual vitality and zaps the life out of my devotional life and spiritual disciplines. It decreases my desire and consciousness of spiritual things because it becomes the thing in the front of my mind. Or more typically, the guilt consumes me. Here's another one. Porn has deadened my relationship with Jesus and robbed me of joy. Someone else. Porn definitely stopped me having a close relationship with God. I experienced such joy after stopping looking at porn and my prayer life has been reinvigorated. Don't believe the lie that it doesn't do any harm. Learn to hate porn and all sexual sin. Be like Jesus who loved righteousness and hated wickedness. That is the first step to stopping. And finally, what is there to say to those who are struggling with this sin? I've called this the future with Jesus. Know that this is not the unforgivable sin. I've been straight and direct tonight because I think it it, it needs that. But it's not the unforgivable sin. 
The wonder of the gospel is that with Jesus, because of his death on the cross, genuine repentance brings forgiveness and cleansing and a fresh start every single day. And with that glorious grace comes the motivation and the resources to change. If you focus on the death of the Lord Jesus and all that he's done for you, he can give you a desire to live differently. And more than that, he can give you the power of the Holy Spirit to live a holy life. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 to 8. Holy living comes from the power of the Holy Spirit. So listen to what Jesus says about Paul. Believe he wants the best for you. Look at the cross and learn to love Jesus more than Paul. To love righteousness and hate wickedness. Talk to someone about it. We're here to help one another. We want to be a community of grace. We are all, as I've said almost every week, I think, we are all sexual sinners in one way or another. There need be and there should not be any condemnation if you come and talk to someone. Make a fresh start with Jesus today and in the power of the Holy Spirit, you can change. Let's pray together. God the Father says about the Son, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever and righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. You, the Lord Jesus, you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. We pray, Heavenly Father, that as those who've been brought into that same kingdom, knowing that that is going to be the very mark of the kingdom in the future, We pray that indeed we would also love righteousness. Yes, the righteousness given to us by the Lord Jesus on the cross, but the righteousness of of living a life which is more pleasing to you and a great hatred of sin, and not least of all this particular sin of pornography. And we pray that along with the Apostle Paul, whatever is true, whatever is noble, Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We do want to help through this whole series and uh, please if you are struggling with this very thing it might not be that Pete or I or anybody who happens to be up front is the right person to come and talk to but do talk to someone and if we are the right people to talk to we are here to help we're going to sing our final song tonight oh great God of highest heaven we need to turn to our God to help us we're going to ask him to occupy our heart that he would fill our hearts more than anything else And uh, these words we're going to sing, conquer every rebel power, let no vice or sin remain. Let's stand as we sing together.